morning again, everybody. I don't know how long it has been since your heater came on on Mother's Day, yeah, but ours came on this morning, and I saw that it's supposed to freeze this week, so isn't that great? Uh, no matter what the weather is, Mother's Day is always a beautiful day. It's a day we celebrate gentleness and patience and nurturing. And so thanks again to all the mothers who came to celebrate with us this morning. We started a series last Sunday called Joyful, uh, a verse-by-verse look at James chapter 1. And last week we kicked it off with a sermon called Count It All Joy. We looked at the first eight verses of the chapter. Today, we're going to move into the section from verse 9 to verse 16. And so if you want to head that way, our topic for today is the crown of life. And James chapter 1 is where we'll read together. Uh, Don't forget, we have Next Step classes available two weeks from today on May 22nd. Make sure you register for those. Uh, Also, our Memorial Day breakfast is on Sunday, May 29th at 9.30 out in the gym back in this corner of the property, and everybody is invited. Uh, Let me also mention that we have a Bible study in the middle of the week, Wednesday nights at 6.45, right here in the auditorium. And during these summer months, we don't have our Awana Club, and elementary kids are always invited to attend the Bible study with your parents. And we do have child care for little ones on Wednesdays uh, for the summer. Uh, Youth group is also at the same time uh, back in the gym. So uh, just for your information. We're going to read now in James chapter 1. And we're going to start this morning in verse number 9. And as we read this, I want you to uh, be focused down on what God would have for your heart from this passage Here today, James chapter 1, verse number 9. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted. When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You know, life is a lot like the spring weather we mentioned uh, in southern Idaho. It's constantly changing. And many times, it's even different than what the weatherman predicts it's going to be. When life is different than what you expected, you may not consider that you're going through a trial of faith. That's what a trial of faith is. It's when life is different than what you expect. And it's hard to discern that in the moment. 
Uh, because when change is happening in real time, you aren't normally sitting there meditating on it being an opportunity from God. Right? You're usually just trying to get through it. You're trying to navigate through whatever storm is happening. But we're going to see this morning that unexpected changes are always an opportunity for God to make us more like Jesus. They are part of the patience process that we discovered last week. And so let's get into this awesome passage to see what God has for us today. The notes are provided in your bulletin. They're also on the YouVersion app. And yes, I am wearing my tulip tie today. Uh, I know that many of you were concerned about that. Uh, my grandmother always liked this tie, my Oma. And so I sometimes wear it on Mother's Day to think of my grandmother who's now in heaven. Let's talk first today about a change in circumstances. A change in circumstances. And I want you to look again at verses 9 through 11. And let's get a little more understanding as we go through them now uh, a second time. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But the rich, let the rich rejoice, is what it's saying, in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. The end of verse 11 says that the rich man will fade away in his ways. And so what's it telling us here? What, what's the message? What's the lesson for our hearts? Well, a person uh, who is struggling to get by doesn't expect to suddenly be promoted to the upper echelon of society. And a person in the upper echelon of society certainly doesn't expect to have the bottom drop out. But when those things happen, they are an opportunity from God. See, every time your expectations are challenged, it is an invitation from God to adjust your perspective. Every single time. When your expectations are challenged, that's where God comes in and invites you to adjust your perspective. If the change seems positive, give thanks. Rejoice in God's blessings. If the change seems negative, praise God for blessing you with the chance to experience humility. Now, this is what Paul was talking about in Philippians 4 when he said this, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And then he said this, I know both how to be abased or brought down and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And I, I always get a kick out of that phrasing, both to be full and to be hungry. Have you ever been there? Like Paul, he just nailed the metaphor, didn't he? At this afternoon at your Mother's Day lunch, you're going to be full and hungry at the same time. And if you go past the point of the balance, then later in the evening you will suffer. <laughs> but you got to be full and hungry at the same, same time. Every circumstance is an opportunity for God to grow my faith. And God always knows what's needed for my heart to become more like the heart of God. And, and so when things look hopeless, he offers hope. And I can grow in my faith during those moments. 
Uh, when things appear to be perfectly calm, sometimes God allows a storm, knowing that I can grow immeasurably in those moments as well. And, and so Paul said, in all things I have learned. Now the key is to be willing to adjust your perspective when things change. Yeah, because if you're willing to adjust, then God is ready to show you the lesson. And uh, there's a sobering reminder in verse 11 here in James 1 uh, that all of your false perceptions will die with you, right? Uh, all of your wrong opinions, all your vain motives, all of your empty pursuits, they wither like the grass. And if you won't invite God into the process of your faith development, Everything you have lived for turns out to be nothing. The rich man's ideas about his importance are very temporary. Uh, the rich man's opinions about everything are very temporary. By the way, so are the poor man's. Uh, see, in reality, in eternity, only God's truth matters. The trial of your faith takes you closer to God's truth. Uh, the truth about yourself, the truth about others, and especially the truth about God. The changes of life bring about these invitations for God to shape you. And many people, uh, when they tell their faith story, they say they have been shaped by God the most in the valleys. They've been shaped by God the most in the trials. They've come closer in relationship with God during the storms than during the sunshine. And it may not be your story, but it is what a lot of people say when they tell their faith story. And, and so we see that if you're a brother of low degree, you should rejoice when you get exalted. And when you're a rich person and you get brought down, you should rejoice because God has given you the opportunity for humility. Isn't it nice when we give each other the opportunity for humility? Right? The next time you correct someone, you can just add on at the end, I'm just blessing you with an opportunity for humility. And it'll make it so much easier. Right? It'll make it so much better. The person will love you even more. And especially if you say that to your spouse, it, it'll just really uh, just make things wonderful for the entire day and probably for a whole week. Right? <laughs> Isn't it interesting how God phrases this? He's giving us this opportunity for humility. And sometimes we don't see it that way because we push back. The, the number one sin of the human heart, the sin that God, Lucifer, booted out of heaven, pride. It always has I in the middle of it, right? It always starts with me. And we always end up with these pride moments where we don't want to learn God's lesson. And when we don't want to learn the lesson, uh, we don't get to verse 11. All right, verse 12. I'm sorry. Verse 12. So I want to look again now at verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let's talk in the second part today about the crown of life. If you are willing to see every change as God shaping you, and if you're willing to go through that process and keep your eyes focused on Jesus, there is a prize 
an eternal one, one that all the money in the world can't buy. See, this verse in James, James 1.12, along with Revelation 2.10, describes one of the five crowns available to the children of God. Crowns at the judgment seat of Christ that we might lay at the feet of Jesus in the ultimate act of worship. And, and we don't uh, know a great deal about these crowns, but Scripture does describe them all briefly and offers us a glimpse of these eternal treasures. Uh, first, there's the incorruptible crown. And this is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 9. For those who focus on eternal things, they don't focus on the corruptible, they focus on the incorruptible. That which can't be stolen, that moths can't eat, uh, that doesn't fade away, it doesn't rust. Okay, uh, second one, and second crown in 1 Thessalonians 2, the crown of rejoicing. And that is for those who treat the souls of people as sacred and precious. Uh, those who treat souls as being precious. Uh, we understand that that's the highest responsibility that we have. Uh, number three is the crown of righteousness. This is described in 2 Timothy 4, and it is for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. They're looking for him to come back. They're waiting and watching for his return. Uh, then there's the crown of glory from 1 Peter 5. For those who shepherd others with grace. And it could be a pastor, it could be a teacher, it could be a mentor, it could be a mother, someone who shepherds another person in faith. And finally, uh, there's the one we're talking about here, the crown of life. Now, Revelation 2.10 says this, Fear not of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee crown of life. Here in James 1, we see that the crown of life will be given to believers who endure through tribulation and persecution. Some of them will be martyred for their faith. Others will be believers who have trusted God through trials. And any Christian may receive any of these crowns to lay at the Savior's feet. Uh, there's no status or degree or title you have to have to get one of these crowns to lay at Jesus' feet. As Paul says, so run that ye may obtain. And if you think about the object or possession that is most important to you right now, that object will be meaningless in comparison with an eternal crown. And isn't it weird how in your life that object always changes? Right? When you're four years old, uh, that popsicle is really important to you. You know, and when you're six years old, it's the Barbie doll that now has broken legs and, you know, broken arms and all sorts of things. When you're eight, it's your baseball. You know, when you're, when you're 10, it's your bike. It, it changes. It is always changing when it's an object. Uh, but when we're looking for Jesus... And we're watching for him, and we're waiting for him, and we're enduring for him. That's uh, where it's really at. And here's where uh, the, the crown of life, this particular crown, is the one I really like. And I like this because uh, when I played sports, I was never the tallest. 
unless I went down like four grades at recess. Um, and I was never the fastest, and I was never the strongest. And, but you don't have to be the fastest or strongest or most talented. You don't have to come from a certain background. You don't have to reach any level. No title is required. You just have to endure. That's it. That's the only qualification. Now, Paul charged Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Don't give up during the middle of the test. Endure. Now, I have a hunch that there will be a bunch of mothers receiving this particular crown at the judgment seat. Because moms go through a lot, right? They endure. And the fact that you are here this morning means that your biological mother endured many months of pregnancy and endured the process of your birth, right? Uh, in this day and age, that's something to be extremely thankful for. I, I know on the news even this past week, there's been a great deal of talk about abortion rights. And I keep hearing uh, how nuanced and complex the issue is. And for me, uh, I'm not trying to be a person with a lack of compassion. It's just not that complicated. We all know that it is wrong to kill an innocent person. A child in the womb is, by scientific definition, an innocent person. It is therefore wrong to kill an innocent child in the womb. And really, there's no additional information necessary to know the answer on the issue. When we look around the room today, you know what we see? People. You know what we don't see? We do not see the circumstances under which every person in this room was conceived. And thank heavens for that. Well, we don't see any of the circumstances or conditions of how you came here, whether you were planned or unplanned. We see a person formed in God's image. And here's what I love about the New Testament truth. Your earthly parents may not have planned for you, but God planned for you. He fearfully and wonderfully formed you. And as Christians, we need to stand boldly for life and truth. But we also need to stand with compassion uh, toward those who have questions. And compassion toward those who have repeatedly been lied to by an agenda that tells them that their child is their enemy instead of this incredible gift from God. We need compassion toward those who have tragically gone forward with what was deemed as a choice. And now they are filled with unexplainable emotions and regrets because what was lost was not a massive tissue. It was a baby formed in the image of God. And I'm telling you, there are some extremely wicked people pushing this agenda. And we need to beg for God's mercy upon our land. A couple weeks ago, one of the committees in the California legislature attempted to push through a bill that would allow a child that has been born within the past 28 days to be euthanized and the act still be considered a legal abortion. Uh, and, of course, there's partial birth abortion and full-term abortion. It's just incomprehensible uh, to us how this could be. 
Uh, also in the news, we see that Disney, the company that is allegedly for children and for children's entertainment, has said that they will pay for any of their employees to travel to an abortion sanctuary state to have an abortion. They'll also pay the health care costs for employees who want to have their young children go through what they label a gender transition. Now, folks, we live in a sick, depraved world. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until then, we endure. And remember, this crown is not just for those who endure trials and persecution. It's also for those who endure martyrdom. And it may come to that. There are many places around the globe where Christians are killed for their faith, where they are beaten or imprisoned for their faith. And please, would you not call someone saying something you don't like on social media persecution? There's real-life persecution taking place. However, if the progressives in America have their way, it will be against the law to speak truth about many different things. And I just want to remind you that just because something is called legal by men does not make it true or moral with God. God defines good and evil. And my Bible says that in the last days, they will change the truth unto a lie, and the lie will become a truth. God has called us to continue to speak truth according to him, and yet to speak it with grace and compassion, and to endure. Now, as we go from verse 12 to verse 13, I want you to watch what happens in the passage. Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted... I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Let's talk about the course of temptation. The course of temptation I want you to know that Scripture says, this is not an opinion, this isn't a theory, it's directly from the Word of God, the desire to do evil never comes from God. God is absolutely holy. He can't be tempted with evil, and He doesn't tempt anyone with evil. And when you read that God is tempting someone, it is never talking about the temptation to do evil. It's talking about the test or trial of faith that we covered last Sunday. Uh, Verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work. See, trials of faith are allowed by God to work patience and perfection in our lives. But when there are changes, when there are difficult circumstances, when outcomes seem evil, when it's not what we expect, the carnal man has a tendency to point the finger at God uh, and to say, God, this is your fault, and blame it on God. And yet Jesus tells us that evil always originates in the human heart. In Mark 7, 21, Jesus said, for from within... Out of the heart of man. And then he said, comes all evil things. If you ever say that God is leading you to do evil, you're deceiving yourself. 
He never has, and he never will tempt you to do evil. Would you please not try to defend your poor choices by blaming them on God? Right? You would not believe how crazy of an idea sometimes people come in with and say, Pastor, God's leading me to do such and such. Like, uh, no, he's not. Because that's clearly against his word. Right? If something is clearly against God's word... And you say God's leading you to do, you know what it's called? It's not just a lie, it's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. You are crediting God with an evil act. And shame on you for doing that. Just own up to your choices. Verse 14 and 15 says that we all go through this. Every man is tempted. And it deals with the course of temptation looks like. It starts with lust and desire and enticement. And that urge is completely human. Uh, but the urge itself isn't necessarily sin. In, in, in Proverbs 1.10, Solomon detailed a principle that his father David had taught him. Listen to what he said. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Isn't that interesting? Proverbs 1.10 is telling us that enticement isn't sin, but consent is. And when a fleshly desire turns into action, the moral boundary has been broken. When lust conceives, it brings forth sin. And this process happens in milliseconds inside the human brain. That's why God tells us to take every thought captive and bring it into obedience to Christ. Because unguarded thoughts and desires quickly turn into sins, bad habits, addictions. And at sin, when it is finished, it says, brings forth death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 5.12 says it this way. For as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Death is the ultimate price of sin. Physical death is coming for all of us. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. But spiritual death is also coming for those who refuse the gift of eternal life offered by Jesus through his death in our place on the cross. And, and so James tells us that the word temptation in this passage is used in two different ways. One is when our faith is tested by trials, that process of patience. The other is when there is an enticement to do evil. And while God never tempts anyone in that way, uh, his grace is still available for all sinners. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It's not fun for any of us to have to deal with sin, no matter whose it is. But it's such a blessing that God will empower us to grow even during our struggle with sin. And God didn't promise us an easy life, but he did promise us eternal life through his son. Now let's finish up with the final verse of our passage today, verse 16, and it's a short one. Do not err. My beloved brethren, there it is, short little verse, six words long, do not err, my beloved brethren. Let's talk about a caution to all, 
a caution to all. Certainly when we sin, that's an error in judgment, right? We're doing the wrong thing. We're making the wrong choice. Uh, But this verse isn't actually talking about the two verses before it. Okay? Instead, it is connecting us back to verse 13 and reminding us again that it is an error in judgment to say that you are tempted by God to do evil. It is an error in judgment to accuse God of doing you wrong. So why is that warning tucked into this passage? Well, the proof uh, is evident in a great number of lives. People who have gone through a difficulty, a change in situation or circumstance, and they have jumped to the conclusion that God did the wrong thing, that his plans for their lives weren't good, that God messed up, right? And there are people all over the planet who think these thoughts. We see it especially today in modern, the modern era who will tell you that God messed up when he made them, right? God messed up. He didn't make me this. He made me this. He didn't make me this. I'm going to be this. And they'll tell you that God messed up. Now, that's erring from God's plan, That's going against what God has created you to be. We said earlier in the message that life is going to be different than what's expected. And when that happens, you can either be disappointed with God or you can trust in God. And if your disappointed expectation causes you to blame or accuse God, you have fallen into the enemy's oldest deception. It's the same bill of goods that the serpent sold to Eve in the Garden of Eden. God doesn't have your best interests in mind. God is withholding what is good for your life. The serpent's lie to Eve is the same lie he's telling people today. And when you believe the lie, not only are you in error, verse 16, but you're also not enduring the test of your faith. And so instead of adjusting your perspective, you're pointing the finger at the one who cares about you the most, right? It's like when kids start to blame their parents for their problems. You're blaming the person who loves you the most on planet Earth for your problems. It makes absolutely no sense, right? But that's what we do with God. And I want to show you something extraordinary that's part of this picture as we finish up today. Go back to verse number 12 and look again with me at the end of the verse. So remember, we were talking about the crown of life. Then look what it says, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. To them that love him. Now, the crown of life is only for those who endure So what is enduring? I would submit to you it's this. According to verse number 12, here's what enduring is. It is loving God through your trial. It is loving God through your pain. It is loving God through your mistake. It is loving God through your disappointment. See, loving God means trusting God. And all of us have missed the verse 16 warning. Uh, We've missed that sign before, and we've blamed and accused God during the trial of faith. We can't change that. 
but we can get the right mindset for trials we're going to face today, at tomorrow, and in the future. See, the crown of life is for them that love him. And so love him when the expectations are fulfilled. Love him when expectations are disappointed. And that brings up our faith challenge for today. And the faith challenge really puts the whole passage into a couple of lines. We said it this way today. On the mountain, rejoice. In the valley, rejoice at God's opportunity for humility. And so James is saying in this passage, hey, brother of low degree, when you're exalted, when something good happens, rejoice. Hey, rich man, when you get knocked down a few pegs, rejoice in God's opportunity for your humility. Rejoice in God's continued work in your life. And can I remind you this this morning? If you're not dead, God's not done. He's still working. And instead of blaming and accusing, try loving and trusting. I'll tell you this, blaming and accusing hasn't worked for you. It's never brought you where you need to be. It's never brought you fulfillment in your life. Try the other way. Love and trust the God who has your best intentions in mind every step of the, the way. And, and that's what leads to the crown of life. Now, this morning, uh, we're going to close in this way. If uh, you're a mom and you would like to be part of our commitment prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you just to come and stand at the front. Uh, we do have some seats for those who can't stand for that long. And moms, come right on up and we'll have a commitment prayer for you as we close out the service this morning. Any moms or grandmothers or expecting moms, anybody, if you call yourself mama, then get up here, all right? We're going to have a special prayer for you. Yeah, just come up and hug or hold hands with somebody else, and we'll all be in this together. And if you bring a baby with you, that's fine. And if you bring a toddler with you, that's fine. If you bring a 15-year-old, it might be a little different, but we'll let you. Okay, here come all the moms, and we're getting them up here. Let's have a special prayer for our moms today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that through the gift of a mother, we're all here today. We thank you for every birth mom represented in this room today who has endured pregnancy, who has endured birthing, who has endured strain and pain and struggle. And we thank you for every mom in this place, and I thank you for their desire for their children to be blessed, their desire for their children to be healthy and safe and protected. And I pray that all these moms would desire most of all that their children would know Jesus Christ and follow Jesus Christ, and that these moms would be passionate about the purpose that you have made each child for. And we thank you how the best traits of a mother represent who you are as a father, as you nurture us, and you show us patience, 
and long-suffering goodness, and you're kind to us, and you're meek with us, and yet you always put us back on the right path. And sometimes you have to forcefully tell us which way to go. And I pray that you would guard these moms because they will shape the next generation. And so I pray that you would give them the grace for each day, that you would fill them with the power of God and the love of Jesus Christ and make them into who you want them to be so that the young people who come up underneath them will know Jesus Christ. Bless us now as we go from this place. Give us safety and grace, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Love you, moms. Have a good day.